Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Luca DeLosta. And I'm Zach Green. In today's episode, we will be going over the NFL Championship Weekend, the Barry Bond situation, who we thought should have made and made the NBA All-Star Game, and an unusual sport that we found. Let's get into it. Okay, so let's start with the AFC Championship between the Bengals and Chiefs. So a quick note is the Bengals were actually holding practices inside Paul Brown Stadium. And a fun fact, the Bengals were the only team in the NFL without an indoor practice facility. So they were holding practices within within Paul Brown Stadium, and they were pumping in crowd noise to the max to, to prepare on how loud Arrowhead really is. The max capacity at Arrowhead is 76,416 people. 7,000 more than Nissan Stadium, where the Bengals just played versus the Titans. And here's a little clip of that noise. That clip is via Michelle Steele, an ESPN reporter. And now let's get to the game. So Joe Burrow, better known as Joe Shiesty or Joe Burr, obviously playing stellar this year. But what are you looking from him in this game? I'm looking for the game, like in Week 17. He did not do too much. He escaped the pocket when he had to. He moved the pocket. And I have a good stat for this. From PFF, Joe Burrow in a clean pocket in Week 17. He had 308 yards, 3 touchdowns, and a rating of 145.4. If the O-line gives him enough time to sit back there and dot up all the receivers, I think the Bengals have a great chance to win this game. Yeah, especially if they can get their run game going. Joe Mixon hasn't been playing up to his first couple weeks of the season, and he's been held to under 50 rush yards per game in the last three games. So how do you think he can become more activated in this game? Well, I think they should definitely use him more in this sort of game when time time of possession is a big thing. You saw it last in week 17 when the Bengals had the ball, I think, six minutes and about 45 seconds left. They didn't give Patrick Mahomes the ball back. They ran it down. You know, the last minute, controversial. They ran it down, and they kicked the game-winning field goal. I think if they can control the time of possession, I think they can win. And Joe Mixon is a player who gets better as the game goes on, but people don't talk about it. They only talk about Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, those types, but... Joe Mixon is definitely a player who gets better as the game goes on. And then obviously there's Jamar Chase, Jay Chizzy. Yeah, he is Joe Burrow's obvious number one target. In the postseason, he's averaging 112.5 yards per game with an average catch percentage of 79.15 on 14 of 18 targets. That, to me, is insane. We saw what he could do versus the Titans. He caught a two-yard hitch and went almost to the house. I think he is a superstar. And then what happens if teams double him if they can successfully double him? Well, we have C.J. Uzama, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. In the past two games, they've combined for 284 yards and two touchdowns. But we can, we've can we seen what T. Higgins can do. Versus the Ravens, he had 194 yards and two touchdowns. Meanwhile, Jamar Chase had 125. You cannot focus on one wide receiver because this team has so many weapons that can hurt you. Yeah, and then... CJ Uzama, a pretty reliable tight end, I would say. And then always Tyler Boyd, who's just sneaky in there, 
and he'll get yards and be an effective player when needed. He has not had a drop since 2020 on, uh, I think, 170 targets. Let's move on to the Bengals' O-line. Luca, last week, nine sacks. What do you take away from that? You see, you would say nine sacks, then how did they win? But I just saw something recently of a sports analyst who said, if Joe Burrow can overcome nine sacks, forget the Chiefs kingdom noise. He'll overcome that. And he's shown that he's able to. Yeah, the, the Chiefs definitely have a good pass rush, and we can get into that in a little bit. Let's move on to the Bengals' defense, though. What do you like from this rush defense against Derrick Henry? So the Bengals' defense definitely played well against Derrick Henry, but they let Donta Foreman run crazy on four carries for 66 yards. So it'll be interesting to see how they go against Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jarek McKinnon. But on the other side, it's weird because they picked off Tannehill three times and held him to a rating of 62.5. But then when they play against, you know, Patrick Mahomes, we'll have to see what happens because because the starting corner, Chita Bayouzier, as a top five PFF rated cornerback, didn't put up his best performance as AJ Brown went for hundred and forty two yards and an average catch for an reception of twenty eight point four. Which if you're going up against Tyreek Hill, that'll be a fifty because Tyreek Hill is a speedster. Yeah, but they also have an elite D-line, and somebody who I think is probably the best off-season signing in Trey Hendrickson, who had 14 sacks this season. But they didn't get Patrick Holmes to the ground last time they played, so do you think they will this game? I hope so, but you never know with Patrick Holmes and his mobility. But another point that I wanted to bring up, the Bengals linebackers Logan Wilson and Jermaine, Jermaine Pratt did a good job versus the Titans, and Kelsey last game in Week 17, only allowing him to... 25 yards so when you look at the Bengals for his tight ends this season it hasn't gone particularly well George Kittle you know Darren Waller both games so I think that's a big focal point for this defense I don't know I think the Bengals definitely had the assets to win this game it just are they gonna come ready to play let's move on to the chief side of the ball this is their fourth straight AFC championship appearance coming off an emotional thriller game versus the Bills I love that game but playoff Patrick Mahomes will always have a way to win. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, versus a top-passing defense in the Bills, he went 33 for 44, 378 passing yards, three touchdowns, and had a passer rating of 123.1. And don't forget, he went down the field with 13 seconds left. Two big plays, you know, like we said, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill setting up the game-tying field goal. And he got it done on his legs, leading that game in rush yards with 69 rush yards and a touchdown. Yeah. So he can do it really all, and everybody's been saying that all season. But he does have that strong Bengals defense to go against. And that's where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire comes in for the Chiefs. They used him only for seven carries. He has 60 yards. That's pretty good. But then you have to look at the Bengals' rush defense, and you have to look at how that matches up. Because last game, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire wasn't playing versus the Bengals. It was... Damian Williams, and Jarek McKinnon. They didn't run the ball as much because we all know the shootout that that game was, and they only kind of ran down in the red zone. But it'll be interesting to see how these two teams match up again. And they've been using Jarek McKinnon way more, and something the Bengals didn't see against the Titans was throwing it out of the backfield, and the Chiefs do that a lot with Jarek McKinnon. Let's talk about Tyreek Hill with that game. 
He had 11 catches on 13 targets for 150 yards with the touchdown coming in the last crazy two minutes. Yeah, and you said it earlier. He's a speedster, and it will be interesting to see who lines up against him. As you said, probably Cheetah Bay and how they contain him because Tyreek Hill has had great games like that, but he's also had games, I'm just going to give an example, like the Ravens where he had 30 yards. So, And Week 17 versus the Bengals, he had 40. So you go, you know, you go back to all these different scenarios and different stats, but you know, Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, I think this is a great robbery. And people say the Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes rivalry was is the rivalry of this era, but if we continue to see these two teams come together, this could turn into one of those big rivalries. Let's move on to an X factor, Byron Pringle. He only had five catches for twenty nine yards versus the Bills and a touchdown. But I think he's really establishing himself as a premier red zone threat. Yeah, and we've seen him, like, against the Steelers in the regular season go and get a touchdown or two. And As you said, he is a red zone threat. But, again, I don't know. He has games where he has great games, and he has games where he's quiet. But it's hard to have a great game every week in an offense like the Chiefs have. Let's move on to the Chiefs' defense. In Week 17, they sacked Joe Shiesty. Four, four times, you know, Joe Burrow coming off a nine-sack game. This should be a big part of their defense to try to get to him. But Chris Jones had has zero sacks this postseason. A guy, everybody says, oh, you better watch out for him. Oh, you better watch out for him. And it's he hasn't done much this season. Nine sacks on the season, zero in the postseason? And that's where I think Frank Clark comes involved. He is fifth all-time in postseason sacks with 11. None so far this postseason, but he feasts in games like these. And then obviously the addition of Melvin Ingram at midseason I think has been a great addition for this team. It won't always show up on the box score, but I think he well, it's shown he's gotten a lot of pressure so far. Let's move on to this kind of, you know, weaker part of this defense with the pass defense. What happened last week versus the Bills? Yeah, the uh, pass defense did not to do too hot. Allowed Gabriel Davis to have eight catches for 201 yards and four touchdowns. Two in the last two minutes, one coming on a fourth and 13. That is unacceptable. I mean, you could say, oh, the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, was out early in the first quarter with a concussion, but you still, you got to get it together there. But here's the weird thing about it. Their leading receiver, Stephon Diggs, only had, I think, 20 yards or something. But then you look how that matched up versus the Bengals' leading receiver, Jamar Chase. And then, you know, the Bengals' second and third option, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, I think is much stronger than Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how they guard Jamar Chase, who we cannot forget, had 266 yards and three touchdowns back in Week 17. Dude, that was a crazy game to watch. And I was actually watching it on an airplane, but that was a fun one to watch, and I'm excited for this weekend. You know who I'm cheering for. You know who I'm rooting for. Said it all season, who day, all day, and especially on Sunday. And when we're recording this, news just broke out that Tom Brady has retired. After 22 seasons and coming off a season where he led the league in passing yards, led the league in touchdowns, I don't know. Why would he retire? I thought he was staying. How about you? 
I think all the hits that he was taking, you know, he's 44 years old. That's old. Like, old. Like, when we talk about sports players, LeBron, you know, 38. That is a very young man in life. But when you look at the big big picture in sports, he's old. And look at, you know, that's another one. Like we said, Jamar Chase. I think he's 20-something, 21. That is so young in sports, but, you know, 10 years, he's going to be an old football player. Yeah, as you said, it's old for sports terms. Like, he's not an old dude overall. But playing at that high of a level for that many years, it just it takes a toll on your body. And for another year of off-season training and everything that he has to go through to get ready for the season, I think it's good that he's stepping down. But prior to today when he made the announcement and everything, he said that it was going to be up to his wife uh, if he wanted to come back to football because he felt he needed to be a good husband and a good dad to his kids. So you have to take that into account as well. Now let's go away from football and turn more into basketball with the NBA All-Star. The starters were revealed two, three days ago, and we'll give our take on who we think the reserves should be. Let's go with Eastern first. The starting lineup, Kevin Durant, the team captain. He's a 12-time All-Star now. Giannis, he's now a six-time All-Star. Joel Embiid, now a five-time All-Star. Trey Young, who's probably the best point guard so far this season, two-time All-Star. And then we have DeMar DeRozan, Mr. Clutch, five-time All-Star. But, obviously, I think Kevin Durant's going to get replaced again because he's injured. And how about your reserves? So, first, I have LaMelo Ball. He's seventh in assists with 7.7, averaging 19.4 points per game. He's had a big step up from his rookie season. He's matured as a person, and I really like him. Second, this might be a little biased, but he stepped into the role so nicely I had to put him in here. Darius Garland, he's sixth in assists with 8.3. 19.7 points per game, and I I don't know if he'll make the first cut, but I think he'll definitely be a reserve. Third, I have Jimmy Butler, 21.4 points per game. He's a great leader on the Heat, and I really like him. Jason Tatum, who the first couple games of the season was not playing so hot, but now he's eighth in points per game with 26, and these past couple games has a great stretch. He's been knocking down threes very consistently, and I like how he's playing. And last, Jared Allen. He's 13th in, in blocks per game, 8th in total rebounds, and has 16.1 points per game. Him and Evan Mobley on the Cavs are a great duo. I really like Jared Allen. I think he would fit in nice with this All-Star team. Yeah, and going back to what you said about Jason Tatum knocking down threes now, I think he went in a slump where he went like over five games, 0 for 20 from three, which is totally un-Jason Tatum-like. But now let's switch over to the West side, and you got the starters being Stephen Curry, eight-time All-Star. Ja Morant is going off, first-time All-Star. Andrew Wiggins, who is, people are debating, but he's having the best shooting percentage of his career as a basketball player, averaging 18 points per game, and he's on a team where he's playing with superstars. You have LeBron James, 18-time All-Star, the captain, and then Nikola Jokic, four-time All-Star, and he's playing out of his mind. Just had a 30-point triple-double the night before we recorded this. And then for my reserves, we have Luka Doncic, but I think he's injured right now, 
and he's averaging 25 points per game, 9 rebounds a game, and 8 assists per game. So he's almost averaging a triple-double. And then another guy almost averaging a triple-double is DeJounte Murray on the Spurs. The Spurs ain't too hot, but he's playing hot. 19 points per game, 8.5 assists per game, and 9 rebounds per game. Now let's move to the centers and forwards. We have Carl Anthony Towns. If this man is not a all-star, I will actually be a little annoyed. He's averaging 24 points per game, 9.5 rebounds per game, 4 assists per game, 1 block per game, shooting 51% from the field, and 40% from 3. Then there's another player is Christian Wood on the Rockets. Not a too hot team, but he's playing good as well. 17 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, which is most among forwards in the West, and 2 assists per games. And then as a center, I just have Rudy Gobert, who is averaging 15 rebounds per game, most in the league, 16 points per game, and 2.5 blocks per game. So he's a tower. Let's move on to the Barry Bonds Hall of Fame situation. Yeah, earlier this week, we had Barry Bonds not get inducted into the Hall of Fame, and it started up a lot of commotion. Now, let's start with his stats. He's a seven-time MVP, a 14-time All-Star, a 300 batting average, which is great, a 2,935 hits, and 9,847 at-bats. That is just crazy. 762 career home runs, which is the most all-time, and he's finished six seasons with an on-base percentage plus slugging at at least twice in the league average. League average is 100-plus, so that is great. Yeah, and I just wanted to let listeners know is that a 300 batting average is nuts. Like, a 3-3-3 batting average is considered the greatest hitter of all time, but a 300 over a career is crazy. But now let's move over to what is the real issue with Barry Bonds? He missed 75% of ballots needed to make the Hall of Fame in his 10th and final eligible year. He was kept out along with Roger Clemens due to player-enhancing drug allegations. And Luca, I have a question for you. If he didn't do those drugs, would he have made it? And that's what everybody has been asking is, and I think he would. These are his accolades if he stopped in 1998 where is before he took peds he would have been a three-time mvp a seven-time all-star seven-time golden glove award winner seven-time silver slugger winner 290 batting average and then 1917 hits 411 home runs and 1216 rbis so i definitely think that's enough to get into the hall of fame Let's move on to an unusual sport, curling. Luca, what is it? Curling is an ice sport that originated in Scotland and is now internationally played and was introduced into the Olympics in 1924. What is the goal of the game? The goal of the game is to score more points than the other team in 10 ends. And we'll get into what an end is in a minute. In order to score, your stone, a curling stone, must enter a target at the end of the ice called a house. And how do you score a point? A team scores one point for having the closest stone to the button, and one more point for every stone in the house that is closer to the button. 
than any of the other opponent's stones. Did you know that curling is often called chess on ice due to the amount of strategy involved in the game? I mean, yeah, it does take a lot of strategy, but how long is a curling match? A curling game is played over 10 ends. An end occurs when all eight stones are thrown by both teams. Each team is given 73 minutes to take all their shots. There are no ties in curling, so extra ends will be played to determine a winner, like in overtime in any other sport. Why do players sweep in curling? Players sweep in curling because the surface isn't smooth. The sweeping affects the speed and direction of the curling rock, allowing players to guide the stone to the house in the button and where they want to aim. But how many players are allowed to sweep at one moment? You can have three players sweeping a curling stone. The curling stone must not be touched by a broom or the sweeper's feet. And did you know if it is touched by a broom or a player's feet, it is considered really poor sportsmanship not to admit it? Let's move on to our game and matchups of the week. In my game of the week, we talked about it a lot. I have the Bengals versus the Chiefs. Winner goes to the Super Bowl. Bengals are 2-0 in AFC Championship games. A little stat for you. My matchup of the week, Jay Chizzy, Jamar Chase versus the Chiefs defense. Will he go for another three touchdown, 250-yard game? I don't know. We'll have to see on Sunday. We talked about it earlier. That's a great game to watch. Al Duff will be watching. But my game of the week is the Washington Capitals versus the Pittsburgh Penguins NHL hockey on Tuesday night. The season series is 1-1, and I don't know who will take it. And my matchup of the week has got to be Alexander Ovechkin of the Washington Capitals versus Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins. The heated rivalry in the Eastern Conference of the NHL. This year, I have to say Alex Ovechkin might be winning that battle. I can agree. One more thing, Luca. If the Bengals make it to the Super Bowl, will they win? I'm never going to go with the Bengals as a Ravens fan. I'm always going to say no or go against them, so I'm going to say no. The Tough Take Podcast will hear a lot from me if the Bengals win the Super Bowl. That's been Zach Green. Luca DeLosta. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 